Everybody, you are listening to the Word in the Hill podcast. This is the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And my name is Father Peter Musset. And we are coming to you from Boulder, Colorado. Which, what a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. Dude, it's so we this was supposed to be the Nino year. And <laughs> like literally we've been sitting in like 60 degree, 70 degree weather for Just like a this week. week. Yeah, I mean, but this week, there's no snow on the ground anymore. Anywhere. You know, El Nino, I think, implies it's it's warmer air. So this is appropriate. But the warmer air creates more moisture. So there's warmer air, but more snow. It's not supposed to be colder for us. The East Coast is supposed to be colder. And which they are. Which they are, except today. It's very nice. It's a lovely day for everyone. Dude, well, uh, welcome to the lovely day on the hill. Welcome to the loveliest of the days on the hill. Dude, I, how's your Lent going? My Lent is, I'm sick of it. Sick and tired of Lent. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I'm sick of it though. But it's it's hard. It's good, dude. Lent Lent, Lent is so weird. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't borrow from any other seasons <laughs> except Advent. No, it Lent. Oh, oh I oh. Come you on. used that last week, and I got mad. Oh, I got to tell you something. Um, before I have a shout out, but before that, so I was shout it out. I was in England. Uh, what was it? Two weeks ago. Oh now? my gosh, doctor. Yeah, I'm I am Doctor Powell. But uh, you didn't introduce yourself on the podcast like that. I though. said I'm Scott Powell. You said Doctor Powell. I didn't say that. I know you wanted me to. Exactly. I'm. I, I... Hello, everyone. This is Doctor Scott Powell. I know I, it would be hard for me to do the same yeah. thing. Well, you have a fa- you already have a prefix in front of you. Oh, your name. I do. Yeah, be father and doctor. Father. Yeah, father, doctor, doctor, father. Anyway, doctor. So I meant doctor, doctor, doctor. Anyway, I'm in England a couple weeks ago, and I was uh, taking a bus to Heathrow Airport to fly home. It was a long bus ride, and I realized I was I was looking for something to listen on my phone, and I I didn't have that much music, and I I was at a podcast. I had nothing to listen to and nothing to entertain me, and I wanted to shut my mind down because I didn't want to read a book. So I, Father Peter, listened to my first ever episode. Of the word on the hill with the lanky guys. No, I was like the only thing I have on my phone to entertain me is my own podcast. But I realized, I mean, so I I edit the podcast and I go through you know bits and pieces and I splice. I've never sat down and just listened to the podcast before. Have you? No, it's a fascinating experience, and I I laughed out loud a couple times, and then I felt <laughs> narcissistic. But there were a couple times I'm like that was hilarious. I realized we took a little bit too long getting to the point at the beginning. <laughs> Which was everybody was telling us. Though. It was very interesting. I listened to a podcast, though. Dude, that's the best. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, I want to give a shout out to the, oh gosh, I want to give a shout out to the St. Therese School of uh, Faith and Mission up in Saskatchewan um, in Canada. I just spent the weekend up with these guys. This this place, I told them when I was up there, I was so inspired by what they're doing and I wanted to tell everybody out in the States. So the St. Therese Institute, they're, um, um, they do all sorts of things in classes and conferences and outreach. But the heart of their mission, they take college-aged folks who want to spend basically a year of their life living in community, learning how to evangelize, uh, basically learning the faith, understanding it so they can go out in the world. And they take a year-long um, commitment to, to go and do this and, and learn how to be disciples. And there was, gosh, I was thinking 37 or about 40 um, young people who were doing this. And it was it was really cool. And I was so honored to be up there. We, we walked through the Gospel of Mark. We talked about discipleship. Um, 
It was so inspiring, though. So I want to give them all a shout-out. If you're listening, if you were at the conference this weekend, number one, thanks again for having me. Number two, thanks for listening to the podcast, as I asked you all to. Uh, <laughs> and number three, I'm just in, I'm inspired by you guys. So if you uh, if you guys are so inclined out there in listener land, check out the St. Therese Institute for Faith and Mission up in Canada. They're really doing beautiful things. So And keep them in your prayers, especially um, Chris O'Hara, who's doing a lot of their formation, and um, Jim Anderson, and the, the whole crew up there. They're good folks. Dude, what I'm always struck by is the like genuineness and politeness of Canadians. <laughs> they were so polite. They were they were as Canadian a crowd as you could get. Dude, I mean like And at one point I even told them that. I was like, You guys are so Canadian. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome. So okay, out of everything that you experienced, because they are a different culture. I mean, like, really. And so what was a big cultural difference that you experienced between uh, between the United States and Canada when you went up there? They're all more polite than we are. <laughs> well, yes, we've established that. They gave me, at the end of the weekend, they gave me a hoodie um, that has the St. Therese you know, yeah, yeah. logo on it. And they said if I was to wear it, I had to call it by the proper Canadian name for hoodies. Which And I, I literally, I was up there, they, they gave me the gift, and I, I was, I've, I'm rarely utterly speechless, but I was utterly speechless because they said in Canada, or at least in Saskatchewan, Oh, I, do, I, I do a podcast with you, so I know you're never utterly speechless. I'm not. <laughs> a hoodie is called, you ready for this, everyone? Yeah. A bunny hug. <laughs> no, you have to call it by its proper name, which is- A bunny a hug? A bunny hug. Dude, who who named that? The Canadians. Dude, that's awesome. The Saskatchewanese. I don't know what they, <laughs> they call themselves. The Saskatchewans. Hmm. Hmm, profound. Anyway- um, so shout out to you guys. Um, we should jump into the podcast. Time's yep. a wasting. Well, yeah. One more shout out. Oh, uh, one more shout out. You've got shout outs. Joseph and Mikey McDevitt. Oh. See, this is the thing is that- what, Oh, the McDevitts. Yeah, the McDevitt Joseph boys. and Mikey. The yeah. McDevitt boys. Yeah, because what happens is that Alyssa, uh, she has them do chores- and she puts on the podcast because it neutralizes the experience of chores. Because for them, the podcast is so good, <laughs> and yet chores are so difficult no, that it brings it back to the I center. Don't believe dude. that. Yeah, and so I like don't believe that for they're a they're the best. I had dinner with them the other day. She's being and, like, polite. They're like they're like so awesome. Did you know that not only uh, Alyssa went to see you too, right? I know Sean graduated. UNC. Yeah, yeah, she went to you. Did you know that Alyssa and Sean were on the very first ever Camp Voitiba summer staff? No, really? Ever. We weren't even called Camp Voitiba yet. I yeah, didn't they know were, that. Oh, boom. You better believe it. Dude. They were dating at the time. They were dating? Yeah. Was that after, was that pre or post collapse lung for Sean? I don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I don't recall. Well, today anyway. we are in the uh, second Sunday of Lent. Number two. Two, and one down. In, we have one down. Three to go. 18 more to go, it feels like. Um, we are, ooh, there's a, there's a feast day tomorrow. Uh, the, the, the day after the second Sunday of Lent of the chair of Peter. I just saw the white show up on my liturgical oh. calendar. And oh, I was yeah, curious. Yeah. Anyway, we're not celebrating that in this podcast. We're celebrating the second Sunday of Lent. Our first reading is coming from Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 through 12, jumping to 17 through 18. Then we get into Psalm 27. Boom. Then we have 1, 7 to 8, 8 to 9. 13 to 14. Yes, indeed. diddly do. Uh, our second reading is coming from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. And then our gospel is from El Lucas. Lucas. <laughs> well said. 928B to 36. What What is 28A? 28A. I don't know. Ask the Canadians. They, they really say, I, I, they say A a lot up there. 
I mean, rightly, it's uh, Saskatchewan. That's that is their given right in the universe. No, of course it is, but it just it it always took me aback every time. <laughs> they were so eight. polite. They're the best. I really, I seriously, I can't say enough about my time up. It was one of those things where I've been so stressed out. I defended a doctoral dissertation. We had our great debate. It was just this. It's been this crazy week, and I was just like, okay, this is. I, I just got to get through this. I, I want to try to do this well, and I didn't expect to be as inspired up there as I was. So I, I can't say enough about my weekend up at uh, St. Teresa's Institute. Dude, that's great. It was neat, really neat. Anyway, now I, we can't say enough about Genesis. Um, our first <laughs> reading. You see that segue there, dude? You, I was. It was like you were standing upright and leaning forward. Mm, I'm also nervous just because I know it, we probably have new listeners from up there, and I don't want to blow it. Uh, it's all right. So I'm dude, feeling shy. You guess what, man? I've already blown it. I so <laughs> <laughs> amen to that, Father Peter. <laughs> all right. So the Lord, right? Okay, this is the, the Genesis 15, and we've talked about this, I feel like, a million times. This is one of our favorite stories love from the it. Old Testament. Love it, love it. And I didn't, I didn't go back, again, I, I was really tempted to go back to our old podcast from three years ago, and I didn't, because I was curious what we did with some of this stuff, because I, the, 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 the imagery that we're seeing here and some of the, the connections are, are, I'm fascinated by them. I don't remember ever having the thoughts before that I had this morning reading these, so... <laughs> So let's see what we can do with this. So the this is um, what's called the Abrahamic cycle. So we're in the story of Abraham, right? Okay. We're introduced to Abraham back in chapter 12. So basically the way that, the, that Genesis works, Genesis has moved from the first 11 chapters of Genesis are kind of what God is doing on a universal level. He's created all of the cosmos and all of these things and all the animals and all of humanity and all these things. Um, Noah, you know, the worldwide flood, all of it is the macro level. And then around chapter 12, everything narrows in and we move from the universal to the particular, right? And we have, instead of the world scene, we have one fa- one man and his family. And the Bible will stay with that one man's family for the rest of, of the time. Jesus is a direct descendant of Abraham, right? So we're going to stay with the family of Israel. So we're introduced to Abraham in chapter 12, and God says, hey, I want you to, to pick up your things and, and take up, and I want you to follow after me and come where I'm leading. Abraham doesn't know where it's going to lead. He doesn't know where God is taking him. Golly. <laughs> I know. You're a mess over there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you, I just like that you tried to be subtle and I, lower your foot rest. I know, and, and it was just super loud, and I locked everything. But like, what's, what I love about the prophets uh, all the time, like you see this with Jonah too, it's like the Lord says, okay, time for you to go. I'll give you what you need when you get there. Yeah. And like this is the same thing with Abraham. He's like, it's, okay, go. I'll what, give you what you need when you get there. No, it's like being told, and to put it in, I might have said this in the last podcast, but it's like being told, hey, I want you to go rent a U haul, take that U haul, pack everything that you own in it, start driving down the highway, and I'll tell you where you're going once you're in the car. You know, you're like, what am I doing? I'm I, driving down I-25, but I don't know where I'm going. I think that that's I, what Abraham is doing. I think that a lot of men have that experience in their married lives. Oh, easy there, <laughs> careful. Oh my, oh me, oh my. <laughs> All right, so um, so that's what Abraham's doing, and the whole story of Abraham. It's it's uh, our friend Tom Smith like to call it like a heart monitor. This constant up and down. Sometimes he's doing really well. Sometimes he's doing terribly. Abraham, you mean? Abraham, yeah, not Tom Smith. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it's it's a movement really from faith from fear to faith, and then hmm. back and forth. There's constantly this movement between I'm really afraid of what God's doing. I'm being faithful to what God's doing. Now I'm afraid of it again, and now yeah. I'm faithful to it again. And that's the human life, right? That's the Christian experience. But at this moment, Abraham is a little bit frustrated, and he. This is actually chapter 15 is actually the first place in the Bible where Abraham speaks. Abram, his name is not Abraham yet. It'll be changed later. What, what's, Still the, what's, the, what's the difference in name? Do you know? Why, yes, Father Peter, I do know. 
Uh, and actually, it's it's one of those things that actually is part of the story. So Abram, which his name is now, it means uh, exalted or beloved father, which is ironic because or like remember, hi, high father, high father, high father, high five father. I know. Actually, I really like your definitions better than mine. Oh, it's okay. Um, but it, the irony is that remember Abraham. The one thing he can't do is have children. And he and Sarai are apparently um, barren at this point. Dude, that's like having, I think they are. That's like having your name be like awesome and you're lame. <laughs> Good analogy. <laughs> yeah, so so his name is this kind of, uh, it's rubbing salt in his wound, the fact that he's named this. there's Because name implies mission, so the fact that he can't even fulfill his mission at all, he's supposed to be father and he can't have any children. Like, exactly. It's And, and the brother's getting old. He is. And then af- it's actually after the story that we're going to get here, a little bit after. His name will be changed to Abraham, which means not just exalted father, but the father of multitudes or the father of nations. And this is how God is sort of through his very name prom- making the, pr- the promise is embodied in his name, which is there's an analogy here with Jesus himself. Remember what uh, uh, Yeshua means? Jesus, Joshua. God the, saves. Yeah, God saves. So the name Jesus was around prior to Jesus. Joshua is the same name. It means God saves. But now, how is God saving? God is saving through God saves. So Jesus, his name implies what he's going to do. Jesus is God who saves. So his name becomes what he is and who he's what he's doing. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's, it's similar to Abraham. It's clear as mud. Clear as, clear as mud. Anyway, um, so where we are here, so Abraham's struggling at this point in the story, and he doesn't, he, he's moving, he's going, he's doing his best, but he can't really see it. And so he's like, God, you've got to give me a sign to show me. If this is really where you want me going, if you really have promised me descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, or the well, sand on the seashore. That, well, he's, he's, already, he's already said the sand on the seashore, though. Oh, okay. So. He has promised him that. And he's like, so wh- how do I know that that's actually true? How can I trust you? I saw the signs. Oh, seriously. And so it says, the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if you can. Good luck, buddy. Well, just so he said, so you'll, your descendants will be. Now, what we find out in the next couple of lines, and our, our scriptures jump a little bit. It says, then as the sun was going down, he did this. So, and we've talked about this before, but basically he takes him outside in the middle of the day, apparently, and says, number the stars. Count it up, buddy. I mean, the sun we know is a star. He probably wouldn't have thought of the sun as a star. So, I mean, what, what you're doing is... Being asked to trust in something that you cannot see, but you know is there. Right. It's there. I just can't see them because it's blocked. So again, he's saying, "Okay, thanks, God, but but again, I need some I need some proof. I need something tangible that I can wrap my mind around to understand that you're going to be faithful." And so it says, "Then then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldees, that's Iraq or Babylon, to give you this land as a possession. O Lord, uh, O Lord God, he asked, so how am I to know?'" That I'm really gonna possess it. Is this true? You gotta give me a sign. And he answered, Bring me a three. So so basically God says, um, here's how you're gonna know. Bring me all of these animals, right? A heifer, a turtle dove, uh, a pigeon, what else? A ram. And basically he tells Abram to take all these animals and cut them in half. And take the half of one the half of each of them, one half, put it on one side, one half, put it on the other side. Which is it, a covenantal expression. It is. Which is, is cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. It's kind of like if I don't fulfill the covenantal realities that are being witnessed in these sacrifices, then let the, what happened to these sacrifices happen to me. Yeah, it's called a self-maledictory oath. Malum is the Latin word for, for bad. So in other words, may a bad thing happen. Like this. But what what someone usually would do, though, and just to, just to add to the imagery of this, 
you'd do this, you'd cut the animals. By the way, do you know what the Hebrew word for, for uh, covenant is? Uh, Have we to, talked about this? To uh, cut oneself? Yeah, to cut is berit, is the Hebrew word, which means literally to cut. So you cut a covenant, um, which is just oh. I- ironic. That's what the word actually means. So it always implies making a covenant is always, it's the term cutting. So something has to break. Something has to be cut. There's, there's, yeah, it costs something. Let's put it that way. Covenant yeah, yeah. always costs something. And what you'd usually do, you'd cut these animals, and then both parties making the covenant would walk through the middle. And the idea was, I mean, you're supposed, your shoe, you're, they're in sandals for Pete's sake. You'd have blood and guts and all sorts of goo all over your feet, which is really nasty and gross to talk about. But the idea is, you're supposed to. Re- this is supposed to be memorable. You remember this experience. It sticks with you. It's yes. powerful and messy and. And you're like, yeah, I'm not going to be unfaithful or else may I be like these animals. Right. Now, Abraham doesn't do it. He's not asked to go through the middle of these animals like you would normally do in a self-maledictory oath. Instead, God's presence, right, this uh, smoking pot of fire and flaming torch, it passes through. God himself passes through. So what God is saying is, if I'm not faithful to you, may I be like these cut up animals. Hmm. And the, 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 the natural question is, well, wait a second, he's got, how can God be cut up? Well, he can't. That's how you know he's faithful, right? Now, there's another piece to that because there is unfaithfulness in that covenant. God is taking this on himself. He is swearing the covenant by him. So he doesn't even make Abraham do it, Abram. Right. He says, I swear by myself. I don't swear with you. I am swearing by my own self that I am going to be faithful. Now, later on, Abraham's going to be brought into that with circumcision and then later Moses and David, and the covenant will will progress, right? And human beings will have a part of it. But even then, when human beings, when one side is unfaithful to their covenant, who is it that ends up being cut and slaughtered like a lamb? Well, it's God himself. Right. Who takes on the punishment, even of this covenant. Which is all pointing towards what we're, it's like everything in Lent points towards the Paschal Mystery. Mm. Absolutely. Now, here's what I think is, I, we'll come back to the irony in a second. What is God promising? What is this covenant all about? He's saying specifically, I'm going to give you this land as a possession. The promised land will be yours, right? He says at the beginning, I'm the Lord who brought you from the Chaldeas to give you this land as a possession. And he says, how shall I know that I shall possess it? Mm. It's not about descendants at this point. God has already promised that. And then at the end, he said to, the, to your descendants, I'm going to give this land from the oh. Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. It's a promise for the prom. That's why it's called the promised land, because God is saying, you're going to have a land this land. There's a land that's of promise. Here's how you know, because I'm cutting these animals. I'm literally walking through the middle and saying, cross my heart and hope to die. Hope to be cut, a- cut apart like these animals. Yeesh. Hold on to what God is promising there, because it's going to seem like it contradicts the, the other readings. Okay. And we'll, we'll tear that apart. Well, then let's, let's keep moving. Psalm then. 27. Um, again, how is Abraham supposed to know this is true? Not just because he sees this great sign, but because the Lord is my light and my salvation. Um, by the way, salvation, I was talking about this with the focus team the other day. We think of salvation and the automatic um, implication we think when we hear salvation is what happens to us when we die, right? Which is not the Jewish understanding of salvation. It's the Greek word sozo, right? What does it mean to be saved in the Hebrew understanding? To be made um, a part of the family. Yeah, it's a here and now thing. And it doesn't even, it's not even necessarily that, because remember uh, later on, um, Caesar Augustus promised salvation to all the people who followed after him or who, and who were in the Roman Empire. Pharaoh promised a kind of salvation. But it's, it's, it's being safe, it's being blessed, it's being 
yeah, a part of a family. I mean, Caesar promised a sort of salvation because he said you're a part of the family of Rome and you're a part of us. That is your salvation. But the key for us to remember is that salvation in the biblical understanding is not just about what happens when you die. That's a part of it. Yeah. But it's more in the here and now. Mm. And this is what Abraham is thinking. This is what the Old Testament is all leading toward. God wants to bless us now, here. It's not Christianity is not escapism. It's not just about what happens when we die and Jesus sweeps us all away from here. It's about the fact that God has changed my identity and the world around us today, in this moment, now, not just when I die. That's the truest sense of salvation. I am a part of the family of God here today now, even though, like Abraham, I can't necessarily see it in its fullness. It's still reality. So the Lord is my salvation. That doesn't just mean when I die, maybe I'll get to see him. But today I should see him and everything I do and everything... Um, that I say and everything I hear and every movement, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So who shall I fear? The Lord is my life's refuge. Of whom shall I be afraid? Abraham, remember, is being asked to do something unbelievably difficult, not to leave his family and his kin and the land that he's known and be promised that he's going to have this future. But basically, God is saying to Abraham, are you willing to trust me with your past? Will you leave your family's house, your kin, the land that was given to you? Are you willing to trust me with your present which is moving forward now in blindness. Get on the road, start moving in this moment. And what he's going to say is, are you willing to trust me with your future as well? Which is, yeah, summarized in this line, seek my face. Yeah. And then he says, your face, Lord, I do, do, I do seek. Yeah. Don't hide it from me. Yeah. Which is ironic because it's sort of hidden in the first reading, isn't it? It is. Um, it's the human response to that. And sometimes God's answer is No. Hide, don't hide your face. No, I have to for now. Yep. You can't see these stars right now. God appears as a flaming pot, you know, smoke and, and a torch. You can't see God's face. And, and even the things that God, it, it, it's funny in the Old Testament, whenever you see God appear, it's always in things that you can't quite capture. Smoke is elusive. Smoke is always shifting and changing. Fire is always elusive. It's always in motion. It's always in flux, right? It's never something that you could, you can't build an idol of smoke. Because that's the whole nature of smoke. It's in movement. You can't in, you can't box God. And that's why you see him appearing as those things throughout the Old Testament. Mm, that's really interesting. And, and that sheds some light on my um, most recent watching of Lost with the smoke monster. Did you, oh, the smoke monster. I forgot about the smoke monster. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. I don't huh. have to think about that because it is... It's fascinating. Yeah, it is very fascinating, which leads us into the fascinating reading from Philippians. <laughs> well done. You see how I did that? I did. This is uh, toward the tail end of Philippians. Philippians is that great letter where Paul is writing... To, uh, the, to Philippi, which is a, basically a colony of retired soldiers from the Roman uh, Empire. Yeah, high-level military. It's a retirement community. So these are people that are tough. They've risked something, again, sort of like Abraham in, in a very different way. Hmm. But they're people who know what it means to risk, who hmm. know what it means to put their lives on the line, to sacrifice for a cause, hmm. right? Yeah. Abraham is doing something very different, but the concept is there. We've risked everything, and now we're reaping the benefit. I mean, imagine being a Roman soldier. Not that this is why you fight in a, in a battle, but, you know, you're a Roman soldier. You're like, I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to step forward in the battlefield, and maybe at the end of my life— I'll get the reward of living in this beautiful coastal city and getting all, you know, but I can't see that yet. I'm going to risk myself anyway. And now they're, they're getting a reward in a certain sense. Huh. They're at the tail end of what Abraham thought he was going for. Now, here's what's, what's weird. 
So again, if these are people by and large who are reaping the benefit of a life of risk, mm. and now they're living in the real world, they're living in a sort of promised land, Philippi, it's a beautiful coastal city. Um, they were free. If you were a citizen of Philippi, it meant you didn't have to pay any of the taxes of the Roman Empire. I mean, you're living in the promised land if you live in Philippi. It's a Roman colony, which carried with it all these political benefits and all, all sorts of stuff. It's the promised land if you're, if you're a Roman. This is it. Yeah. To that community, Paul says, join in being imitators of me. Um, we observe uh, and observe those who thus conduct themselves according to the model you have in us. For many, as I have often told you, and now even tell you in tears, many people conduct themselves as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is destruction. Their, God, uh, their, their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. They're their bellies. I like that tr- translation better. They glory in their shame. Their minds are preoccupied with earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. Mm. And from it we await the Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. These are people for whom their citizenship in Rome, and more specifically in Philippi, probably meant everything. Mm. And Paul is saying, look, what is, what is this is a fascinating line. For Paul, what does it take to become an enemy of the cross of Christ? Is it spitting on a crucifix? No. No. What, what, do, what do you have to do to become an enemy of the cross? Worship your belly. Yeah, it's letting your mind be on your belly, which is a very scary thing because you think of like, okay, how do we become an enemy? Well, it's by letting little things start to slide. Mm. Oh, I want, you know, I mean, how do you become, how do you get to the point where you become an enemy of the cross of Christ? We seek after more and more comfort and cushier cushions and better and bigger technology, just stuff. He says the eyes are set on the things of this world. Mm. That's how you head down that slippery slope of becoming an enemy of the cross of Christ because the cross of Christ is ultimately the opposite of than all of those. It is ultimate sacrifice. And if you're following Christ, the promise is I'm going to take up my cross as well and I'm going to follow after him. That's not compatible with the comforts of this world. Now, we may have comforts and, and there's nothing wrong with being rich or having things, but it's our attachment to them. And Paul is saying, are you willing at God's call to drop all of these things and take up the cross? If not, then you got a problem. Now, the reason I think this is... Thomas Aquinas would actually like ta- talk about like the, the word that in the seven deadly sins he uses is, is not lust, but luxuria, Ooh. which is excess yeah. in all things. It's, it's just this... It's just this massive sense of of access. That is us. And so like like luxury, it's just this access it's it's excess. And the longing after luxury. Mm. You know what I mean? Which mm-hmm. is different than luxury. I mean, we can have nice things, fine. But it's that longing for the mm. good stuff. You know what I mean? Yep. I uh, on my way back from Saskatchewan this last weekend, I got upgraded. It was like a regional pr- plane, so it was like the regional planes version of first class, which uh-huh. is Comfort Plus. Anyway, and it was and it was one of those things like it's been, you know, Father Peter, I've had probably the longest two weeks of my life. Oh my god! Between the debate and the doctorate and this retreat, and it was one of those like, oh yeah, this is really nice. I can to stretch out my legs, and they're bringing me wine. And I'm like, this is great. And it was there's the difference between recognizing wow what a gift this is this is a really nice moment right and the feeling of like i can never go back to coach again like i i will not go back yes there's a difference there of Total like difference. wow this is really wonderful and i'm going to enjoy it yep as opposed to this is this is my life now i am not taking anything less than this right. that's right. the way to becoming an enemy of the cross you know yes that's making your god your belly because, yep. again, nice things are fine, and I really appreciated that first-class seat. 
but it, it can't be my god. I have to be willing to go back to coach on my connection flight back to Denver. <laughs> I yeah. had a really lousy seat. Dude, I, I it happened to me once uh, transatlantic after Ooh. my after after a 7 weeks uh, oh. on the Camino. Oh man. And which is like not luxury at all. Right. Right. And, th- and then they're like, um, yes, uh, Mr. Mossad, we would like to upgrade you to first class on a Boom. transatlantic fight. Oh, that's and, nice. And, and I was like, I smell bad. <laughs> I can't kidding. believe they let you on. I know. They they just like they, they had to swat the flies away oh, and like sick. kept me going. Mm, that's nice. But here's the problem. So I see a problem here, even before we get to the gospel. Okay. Uh, what was the promise made to Abram? Uh, the land. I got that one. You're gonna have stuff. You're gonna have a land. It's gonna. It's it's as material as you can get, right? Right. And then in the second reading, all of a sudden, Paul says, "Don't set your mind on things of this world. Don't set your mind on the earthly things." But but Abraham's been promised you're gonna have a land flowing with milk and honey, and it's gonna be beautiful and descendants and all these things. And I'm seeing this disconnect that we have to reconcile between Abraham thinking, okay, I'm going to get stuff. We're going to get land, a place to live with nice houses and fields and crops and animals and all the stuff that we want. Yeah. And then Paul telling his listeners, no, 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 it's actually not about, you've missed something. Right. You're missing something there. Mm. And so what we're, what these readings are all about is the promised land. Yes. And that I think is a perfect segue into the gospel. Hmm. All right. I don't know if you see where I'm going yet. No, I don't. I'm, okay. I'm super intrigued, man. You like, you are you got you got charge of this carriage. Well, there was those a, horses are rearing. <laughs> the metaphors are flying. Metaphors are flying. I read. I, I just I picked up a, a rando commentary that I don't actually read, and I saw, and I literally I read one line, but this image struck me okay. by this. So, uh, the gospel. Our, our gospel is from the the scene of the transfiguration, right? Which is uh, Luke actually gives us, I think, the best version of the trans. The best. All the gospels, of course, are. are Great are, are exactly Amazing. what God wants. There's some details that are included in Luke yes. that Luke that, gives that us are more really details. Helpful. So it says Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his three closest apostles, up and went and went on the mountain to pray. Um, when he was po- when he was uh, no, I think he was Pope Benedict at the time. Joseph Ratzinger, Pope ben- Pope Emeritus Benedict, in his books uh, Jesus of Nazareth on his commentary on Scripture. Yeah, he points out that Luke is the only one. So all the all three synoptics tell us about the transfiguration. Luke is the only one that tells us why Jesus went up on the mountain. Oh. And Luke says he went up on the mountain to pray. That's the purpose. And so uh, Benedict points out that everything from there on out, we see as Jesus an insight into Jesus' prayer, into his conversation with the Father. What does it look like when Jesus prays? Well, when Jesus prays, when he talks to his Father, he Mm. lights up. Saints from the Old Testament show up and are conversing. I mean, the the whole world oh, is. Wow, this is an insight into Jesus's prayer life. Never even thought about that. No Isn't wonder he's go, no wonder he's going alone in the morning <laughs> time. He's like he's like they can't handle this. Yeah, yeah, but it, I I love that. it's a tiny little detail, but it tells you what he's doing on that mountain. And then it shows. So what Jesus is doing with the apostles is not just saying, "Hey, I want to show you this big profound miracle." What he's saying is, "I want to let you in on my prayer life." I want to give you an insight into that. So he's up there. His clothing becomes dazzling. He's changed in appearance. Moses and Elijah are there. Moses and Elijah, of course, represent the law and the prophets um, for the ancients. So what you have is the law and the prophets. The Old Testament is speaking to Jesus. It's speaking about Jesus. They're all together. It's, it's the unification of the whole of the scriptures, right? The tradition with the Old Covenant, with the New Covenant, the tradition with, with Jesus. Uh, they appeared in glory and they spoke about what? 
His exodus. His exodus. Yep. Which he was to accomplish in Jerusalem. Um, I was reading a commentary and it was saying, <laughs> it was, I, I don't know how faithful the, the writer of this commentary was, but he was basically saying how strange it is <coughs> colloquially to use the word exodos in Greek as a word for death. They're like, it's unprecedented. Nobody talks about death as an exodus, but Luke does it for some reason. And, you know, he kind of goes on with the commentary. We know what he's talking about, though. Exactly. What is, and, and so there's this image in this, in something I was reading, which again, I'll see if I can do it justice. Because in my mind, it was, it was profound. But it basically said, you have Jesus up on top of a mountain talking about the exodus. What's the exodus? Well, it was when Moses led his people from slavery to freedom from Egypt into the promised land through the baptism of uh, the Red Sea. And it says what you have is Jesus standing on this mountain, basically looking out across another kind of Red Sea that he's got to cross. So he's about to embark on this journey, this baptism across Ooh. another sea that nobody else can actually come. Moses and Elijah can't accompany him. The apostles can't accompany him. He has to travel this exodus through this other Red Sea, through this profound baptism to the other side. And where is he going to land? At a new promised land. One that's far bigger than Palestine in the Middle East. One that's far bigger than any borders or map can show us. Wow. One that blew all of our expectations. That is the exodus that Jesus is ultimately pointing to. And that is the promised land that God is ultimately promising to Abram. It's not just, yes, on an immediate level, yes, God is speaking and promising Abram that his people will have this strip of land in the Middle East. And that's good. But ultimately what God is saying is that's not the end. And if you make it the end, your God has become the belly and your mind is fixed mm. on the things of this world. Yes, that is a good thing meant to point you to something else. Mm. The land of Israel is good. You've been to the Holy Land. You know what a profound, yes. grace-filled place that is. Yes. But if the Holy Land becomes the be-all, end-all of everything, then we have totally missed it. Right. Because Christ is wanting to give us a new promised land, which is a whole restored heavens and earth, the new creation founded in his very body, that he's transformed everything and all things around us. That's the promised land. The strip of land in Palestine is meant to point our eyes ahead to that. Yes. The good things that we have in our life, the getting upgraded to, to first class on a transatlantic flight, is meant to remind us, wow, what a tiny, teeny taste of the glory that God wants to reveal. Yes. This is a small thing, but it, it reminds me that God has more for me. The heated seats in your car, you know, remind us of the fires of hell. Yes. No, I'm just <laughs> Hold on. Sorry, I was just a joke. I uh, yeah. No, they, they're not. Dude, they're you, not. you caught me. I, know, I was reading about I'm what sorry. we were doing. I know, I feel you, bad. Dude, you I just, feel guilty. You just totally jacked me. I know, I feel really guilty. <laughs> you should feel guilty. <laughs> I do. Hey, you want to take a ride in my car? Yeah, your heated seats don't work. I've been... Are they still, are they the, like the one thing that does work? Yeah. Okay. The windows don't work. The windows don't and work. And sometimes just dies we, unexpectedly. Yeah. It's a good car. <laughs> um, no, but I, that image of him crossing another kind of a sea that only he can, I mean, mm. nobody can accompany him on that. But in a certain sense, then we do. Once he does that, once he performs that exodus, he then clears the way through baptism yes. for us to ultimately follow. Yes. And we do get to come. And, you know, and again, thinking about the imagery of the Exodus, you know, they cross over to the promised land and what happens in the midst of that? Well, all of the enemies of the people of God are vanquished in that water. Uh, when we enter into the, in the waters of baptism, which all of our, the candidates or catech the candidates yes, will yes. do at Easter that we're, the whole church is actually preparing catechumens. the catechumens. Thank you. 
the whole church is preparing for this. We're getting ready to make the journey. Yes. We're watching as Jesus is making that journey. We're getting ready to follow him so that all the enemies of the people of God will be washed away in that water. But Jesus is now standing on the mountain saying, it's that way. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Which means, and, and talk about the experience of coming towards a church. It's like, yeah. you're just like, go that way. And it's like, I don't know. And then now all of a sudden it becomes more and more intelligible as, yeah. the, as the guidance and direction goes. And what is it that Jesus is going to do on the other side? He's going to become like one of those animals in the first reading. Yes. Saying, fine, I'll take it on. Yep. I'll take on the promise. I'm going to become like one of these, not right. because God has failed, but because humanity has failed. Mm. You have fallen down. So mm. fine. I'll keep the promise that my father made mm. and I'm going to be like one of these broken animals and that's what's going to set you free. So if you set your mind on the land and on the animals and on the trappings, you're going to miss it. Yep. Because it's beyond that. I, I, I was struck by the imagery of that. One step beyond. Is that Harry Potter? No. I assume everything you say is Harry Potter. Dude, that's Ska, dude. That's, that's oh, Ska. Reliant K, dude. British Ska, dude. British Ska. You're British Ska. Second wave Ska, dog. <laughs> All right, you guys. That is uh, the podcast for today. Um, thank you for any new listeners that we have. Yeah, welcome, Canada. Welcome, Canada. Find us on Facebook. Uh, send us an email. Link you guys at thomascenter.org. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to be your friends on social media. Yeah. We will be back next week Thanks. for the third Sunday Link. Thanks for everybody um, who comments on Facebook. It, yes. it, we love you. Lends us the visibility and for all the other 9,000 people who are listening to us. Boom. Love you guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.